I would invite you to take your Bible or the red Bible and the chairs around you and turn with me to John chapter 6, the Gospel of John chapter 6. If you're not sure where that is, in the red Bibles around you, the page number is printed in the bulletin. John chapter 6, we're going to be looking at the first 21 verses. Beginning in verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Let's pray together. Father, we pray as we do so often that the Holy Spirit would be present in our midst in these moments ahead and that our eyes and our hearts would be open to see what you want us and what we need to see from this portion of your word. Help us to see Jesus. Help us to see who he is. Help us to see what he has accomplished for us. And by doing so, Father, we pray you would not only encourage us, not only increase our understanding of who he is, but that you would fill our hearts with a love for him and a desire to obey your word. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Just see if you can think of a time, a moment or a situation that you've been in when it became very obvious to you that you were completely and utterly inadequate in that moment, Uh, completely unable to help yourself in that moment. I had a 
situation in my childhood that came to mind as I was thinking about this this week. It was when I was in fourth or fifth grade in our hometown of Richmond, Indiana. It was wintertime, and as is more common in Indiana than here, we had an ice storm come through. And it coated the the trees and the the road with a thin layer of ice. Now, the school administrators decided that it wasn't bad enough to cancel school that day. And it was a school day, so off to school we went on the school bus that I rode each day to school. Now, to get to my elementary school, you had to drive on Warner Road. If you're from that area, you know Warner is a very hilly road, and the very beginning part of the road, there is a very steep hill that you have to climb. Now, on a normal day, our bus would huff and puff to get up that hill, Warner Hill. But on this particular day, we also had to deal with the ice. Tom, the bus driver, started up the hill with a bus full of elementary kids. He made it about halfway up. And the wheels lost traction and the bus began to slide back down the hill all the way down until we came to a stop at the bottom of the hill. Tom, the bus driver, uh, backed the bus up a little bit and then put it into gear and then slammed on the accelerator and off we went for a second try. This time we made it three quarters of the way up the hill to the steepest part of the hill and the wheels again lost traction and we began to slide backward. But this time we weren't sliding straight. We started sliding over to the side, over to the right. Eventually we slid off the road into the ditch and the bus began to tip and we ended up smashing into some trees and a fence that was holding the bus up on its side. There we were, we were stuck. About halfway up the hill, off the road in a ditch, partially tipped over onto trees that had shattered several of the bus windows. Now, as you might imagine, with a bus full of elementary kids, there was quite a commotion going on in the bus. So Tom had to calm everybody down, and then he radioed in about the accident, and then we had to wait. We had to wait for somebody to come and to help us. We were utterly incapable of helping ourselves at that moment. We had to sit quietly in our seats. There was no sense of how stable the bus was. They didn't want us getting up and moving around. So we sat quietly in our our bus seats until help arrived. And you can imagine, lots of help showed up. Fire trucks, police trucks, school administrators, all gathering at the bottom of the hill, trying to figure out how they were going to get up this icy hill to the bus to figure out how stable the bus was in order to be able to figure out how to get the kids off the bus. Eventually they made their way up and one by one we were taken out the back door of the bus and as we were escorted out of the bus we were taken over to the road. We had to sit down on the road and slide all the way down to get to the authorities that were waiting for us at the bottom of the hill. Now you talk about feeling inadequate. Talk about feeling completely unable to do anything, to help ourselves. Uh, We were needing somebody else to come and provide for us, come and and help us. In John chapter 6, we see a massive crowd of people who needed help, who needed provision, who were inadequate in the moment to provide for themselves. And so Jesus does a miracle. He provides for them. And he gives them what they needed. He gave them some food. 
But this miracle and the one that followed later in that evening of Jesus walking on the water, those miracles were done for an even greater purpose than just giving people something to eat in the middle of the day. Remember, we've already talked about what John's purpose is in writing the gospel. He tells us at the end of his gospel in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John wrote his gospel and he included these miracles so that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing it, we would have life. So the question is, how does this, these two miracles, the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus walking on the water, how do they show us that He is the Christ? And how does it help us to believe in Him and have life? We're going to look at three things today as we look at these verses, verses 1 through 21. First of all, we're going to look and see the need that was present. Secondly, the provision that was made. And lastly, the result that was produced, both for them as well as for us. Now, before we jump into the passage, we need to get uh, acclimated to some context of what's going on here uh, around this passage. You'll remember that John's gospel is one of four, and each of the gospels is written by a different author. And each of the authors had their own personality. They had their own uh, focus of how they wanted to organize their gospel and, and tell us about Jesus. The three other gospels... Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are more oriented around chronology. They kind of follow Jesus' life through chronology. But John doesn't do that as much. John's focus is much more telling us about Jesus, telling us theology about who Jesus is and what he has accomplished. So as we look at these other gospel accounts of the same event taking place, we know that this miracle of the 5,000 and Jesus walking on the water happened at the end of Jesus' public ministry in Galilee. It was as he was beginning a more private ministry to his disciples. By the time that this miracle, these miracles took place, the Sermon on the Mount had already been, had been preached. The disciples had been sent out on numerous missionary journal, uh, journeys. Jesus had taught a lot of parables and he had done other miracles and John the Baptist had been killed by Herod. Jesus, by the time this happened, Jesus and the disciples were tired, they were weary, they needed rest and they needed recuperation and they probably were wanting to get out of the eye of Herod because they were afraid that he would arrest them as well. So we read here that Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. They were going away, trying to get away from the crowds to have some quiet time together with just Jesus and the disciples. But we hear about this massive crowd that followed them, not on boats, but they probably walked along the north edge of the Sea of Galilee to follow Jesus and the disciples. They had seen other miracles that Jesus had done. They had seen him heal people. And so they were hoping that maybe Jesus would do some more miracles, maybe even heal some of their sick loved ones. And did you notice we're told it's a crowd of 5,000 men? 
But that almost certainly included women and children as well. So the number is actually probably twice or three times that size. This is a crowd of 10, 15,000, possibly even more. And then also notice that he tells, it was, tells us it was during Passover, which is probably why this large crowd was in the area, pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem. John, who would have been here for these events, tells us that when they get to the east side of the sea, they go up on a mountain and Jesus sits down. Now, normally what that meant was he was getting ready to teach his disciples. He sat down and he was going to teach them. But before he could, Jesus looked up and he saw this massive crowd heading their way. And that's where we start to see the need that was present you can see the need first with the need of the disciples. Look at verses 5 through 9. There we read that, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? He began to test Philip, testing the disciples. Where are we going to get food for all of these people? What would Philip say? Well, he said, even if we had 200 denarii, that's about eight months salary, eight months of wages. Even if we had eight months of salary, we would still not have enough money to buy enough food for the people to be fed. And then Peter's brother, Andrew, joined in. He went and found a little boy who had some fish and some bread. And he said, well, we have this, but it's not going to be nearly enough to be able to feed this entire large crowd. What was Jesus doing here? How was he testing these disciples? Jesus was trying to get them to see that they had a need and that they were completely inadequate to meet the need. This massive crowd needed provision and the disciples couldn't do anything about it. They didn't have the financial resources. They didn't have the physical resources to provide enough food for the crowd. And Jesus wanted the disciples to understand, you need to look to me. To provide. Would they look to Jesus? Would they trust that he would be able to provide what was needed? And certainly the crowd would have been getting a sense of this as well. Maybe some of the people in the crowd had brought some food with them for themselves or maybe even for their family. But certainly nobody had enough food to feed a, a crowd of five or ten or fifteen thousand people. If they were going to be provided for, it was going to have to come from outside of themselves. This is the need that Jesus wants them to see, that they are incapable, inadequate to provide for. And Jesus drives this reality of the need home to the disciples again later that night. Look at verses 15 and following. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make, king, to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. 
The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. The disciples went on ahead. Jesus was still up on the mountain, and so they went down to the Sea of Galilee. They got back in the boats, and they began paddling across the sea to get to the city of Capernaum. About halfway across, maybe a little bit further, a storm took place. Now, the other Gospels tell us more about this storm. It was bad. Waves were crashing on the bow of the ship, on the, on the boat. The water was coming in. The wind was howling. And then we read that Jesus came walking on the water across the sea to them. Other accounts tell us, this one, John says that they were frightened. He didn't tell us why. The other accounts say that they were frightened because they thought they were seeing a ghost. Jesus was once again forcing the disciples to come to the terms with the fact that they were inadequate in the moment. They needed help outside of themselves. That boat was stuck in the middle of the storm. If they were going to get to dry land, they needed help. They needed help. Now, on one level, Jesus is helping these people to understand that the need that they had was physical. They needed food. The disciples needed food to give to the crowd. The crowd needed food to eat. And the disciples needed help in the midst of the storm. And did you notice Jesus was gracious and hospitable? He provided food that they needed physically. And Jesus was gracious and kind to the disciples in the storm. He got them to the other side. But as you're going to see even more clearly next week, as Pastor Steve continues on in John chapter 6, we'll see in the middle of the chapter that Jesus tells the disciples and tells the crowd that the physical need that they had was not all. They had a bigger need. They had a deeper need. They needed to be fed and nourished and provided for, not just physically, but spiritually. Not only were these people inadequate to provide for themselves physically, they were utterly inadequate, unable to provide for what they needed spiritually. They couldn't fix the problem of their sin. They couldn't get themselves reconciled to God. They couldn't pay off the debt that they owed to God because of their sin. They were completely and utterly inadequate to solve their spiritual problem on their own. They needed help. wonder if you understand your inadequacy as well. Have you been brought to the end of yourself? Do you understand your need for provision? Now, maybe it's physical. You go to the doctor and you get a medical diagnosis and there's nothing you can do. Or you're a medical professional and you give the diagnosis and there's nothing you can do to help. Or maybe you have... A child, an adult child who's stopped walking with the Lord and despite how much you talk and plead and pray, you can't do anything about it. Or maybe you're in a marriage that's not fulfilling and despite all of your efforts, you can't get your spouse to love you like you think they should. Or maybe maybe you deal with worry and anxiety that you can't shake and there's nothing you can do. Have you realized how small and inadequate we are? That we're incapable of providing what we need. And it's especially true spiritually. Struggle with that besetting sin that seems to have such a vicious grip on your heart and your mind. And you don't know how to get rid of it. 
You sense the inadequacy to meet God's standard in order to be able to go to heaven. Loving and perfectly loving and obeying every part of God's word. You understand your inadequacy physically and especially spiritually. Once you do, once you understand your need, then you can start to see the provision that is provided. Look at verses 10 and 11. Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten the fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. And then again in verses 19 and following, when they had rowed about three or four miles, this is now in the evening, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Jesus performed the miracle of multiplying the fish and the bread and everybody had as much as they wanted. He provided the disciples with more than enough food to distribute to the hungry crowd. He provided the crowd with plentiful supply of food. And Jesus calmed the disciples that night on the sea. And he told them, don't be afraid, it's me. It's I. Don't be afraid. Notice the provision For the disciples and for the crowd, it is sufficient. And it's more than sufficient. It's abundant. And it's completely free. They didn't have to pay for any of it. The point that Jesus was making to them and to us is that on our own, we are completely inadequate to provide for what we need. Many times physically, always spiritually. But the good news is that Jesus provides for us. He meets our need with himself. He is the solution for our spiritual inadequacy. As I was reading various commentaries this week, it was interesting how they differed so uh, black and white uh, about how much symbolism is going on here in John chapter 6. I would suggest to you, I think that there's a lot. And it's rich and it's meaningful And it helps us to understand the provision of Jesus Christ for us. So let's look a little deeper into the text to see how Jesus once again shows us the gospel of grace. How he richly and abundantly provides for us. We see in this text that Jesus is our Passover lamb. Remember, John told us in verse 4 that this miracle took place during Passover. Now, Passover was a Jewish feast when people would gather in Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, and they would remember and they would celebrate the event of the Exodus. When God led his people, rescued his people out of Egypt under the leadership of Moses. You see, it's not a coincidence that John ended chapter five with Jesus speaking to the Jewish authorities about how Moses in the Old Testament pointed to Jesus. God used Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. And you remember the story. God protected his people from destruction on one of their last nights in Egypt by having them sacrifice a lamb. And then they took that blood of that sacrificed lamb and they covered their doorposts. And then that night the Lord would come and destruction over the land of Egypt took place. But the Lord passed over The houses of the Israelites that had the blood covering the doorposts. 
The Passover was a time to remember how God saved his people by covering them with blood. And here in John chapter 6, it's the Passover feast. The people are gathering in Jerusalem to remember and celebrate that event. This massive crowd didn't either go to Jerusalem or they were leaving Jerusalem to do what? To follow Jesus, the ultimate Passover lamb. Certainly they didn't understand everything about who Jesus was yet, even though John the Baptist had told them that Jesus is the lamb of God. But we know Jesus And John told us that he wrote these things for us to believe that Jesus is the Christ and to have eternal life. Do you know Jesus as the ultimate Passover lamb for you? He is the one who shed his blood on the cross to cover you with the blood of the atonement. To cover you from the penalty of sin, which is death. Jesus is the provision that you need. He is the provision of your spiritual inadequacy because he is our Passover lamb. But we also see that Jesus is not only our Passover lamb, he is the bread of life for us. Now, Pastor Steve is going to cover uh, the middle part of John chapter 6 next week uh, in the sermon. We'll be looking at verses 22 through 40. But we have to mention at least one thing that's in that verse today because of the miracle of the 5,000 being fed. If you'll look at verse 35. Jesus goes on later to speak to the crowd and to speak to the disciples and explain to them their ultimate need is spiritual. And he comes in verse 35 and he said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You probably know that in that ancient culture, bread was incredibly important. Of course, it was used for food, but it really was a staple of their diet. It was at the heart. It was the central part of every single meal that they would eat. And because it was so central in that culture, bread became a symbol for life itself. But for an Israelite, bread had an even more important meaning. Again, they would take it would take them back in their minds to the Exodus event. After they left, the people left Egypt. They ended up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And one way that God provided for them is he gave them manna to eat, a bread like substance that was made into cakes. Each day, the Lord would rain down manna from heaven and it would cover the ground. And as they looked out, they looked at the fresh manna. It looked like dew or frost on the on the ground. And they took it and ate it. It was sweet. And through the manna, God provided for and sustained his people as they traveled in the wilderness. Literally, it was bread of life for them. It was it was life giving bread. It's what kept them alive in the wilderness. And here, Jesus takes some bread and multiplies it abundantly. Everybody was provided for with this bread. And then he tells them in verse 35, the bread that you're eating now takes care of your physical needs, but I am the bread of life. I meet your spiritual inadequacies. Come to me, he says, believe in me and you will never hunger again. Your your spiritual hunger, your spiritual thirst will be taken care of. Jesus is the only one who can satisfy our spiritual hunger and quench our spiritual thirst. I want you to notice something in verse 35. You can't see it in the English, but it's there in the Greek. Jesus calls himself the bread of life. In the Greek, there are actually a couple different words that are used for life. One of those words is the Greek word bios. 
It means just life, uh, the, the physical existence that we have. We have life and then we die. That's not the word that Jesus used here. He used the other Greek word that means life, zoe. And that means not just your physical life. It means the quality of your life. It means what makes life worth living. The, the joy and the love and the delight and the hope and the, the worth of your life. And do you see in verse 35, Jesus says, I am the zoe. I am the bread of zoe. The bread which gives us a quality of life now and forever. In Him, life finds its true meaning and purpose. And as we come to Him and as we believe in Him, we get life. We get a life that is worth living both now and into eternity. Jesus is our bread of life. It's one other thing that we see here in the text. Not only is Jesus our Passover lamb and He is our bread of life, but He is God Himself for us. Turn back to verse 20. Again, this is the scene. The disciples are on the boat. They're dealing with the storm. Jesus walks out on the water to them. They thought they were seeing a ghost. They were scared. They were frightened. And then Jesus got up to where the boat was. And what did he say to them in verse 20? He said to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. It is I. In the Greek, it's two little words. Ego, eimi. It could also be translated, I am. I am, he says. The disciples were afraid. Jesus got to them and he says, don't be afraid. I am. Some of you know the meaning and the power of those words. Again, it takes us back into the Old Testament. Moses was being called by God to go to Egypt to lead the people out of Egypt. And God spoke to Moses in a burning bush. And Moses initially resisted, but eventually agreed to go. And he said, God, tell me, who should I tell Pharaoh and the Egyptians that I'm being sent by to get the people of Israel to be let go? And God told Moses, you tell them, I am is sending you. The all-powerful, eternal, always existing Lord God Almighty, the I Am. And here Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, don't be afraid, I Am. Some of you know that later in John, John will record a number of I Am statements that Jesus makes. He refers to himself as the great I Am. He was making it abundantly clear, he is God. And that is great news for us because Jesus is God to us. He is the great I am. That means he is able to be our Passover lamb. He is able to be the bread of life for us because he is God. He is able to secure our redemption, our eternal inheritance and to keep us safe and secure. Do you see how Jesus is the ultimate provision that we need? The last thing I want us to see is not just the, 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 the need that was present in our need and the provision that is given through Jesus, but notice the result, what happened as a result. First of all, for the disciples and the crowd during the day, you can see that in verses 12 through 14. And when they had eaten up the, their fill, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. We see the result of 
this first miracle during the day, the crowd got to eat as much as they wanted. Afterward, the disciples gathered up 12 baskets full of the bread. Many commentators believe that was a picture of the 12 tribes of Israel. People were fed. They were content. They had been given more than they needed. Just like Jesus' grace to us. An abundance of grace that makes us content and satisfied. And the crowd then identified Jesus rightly as the promised prophet of Deuteronomy 18. But notice there was a result later that night as well when the disciples realized that it was Jesus. He told them, I am, do not be afraid. And then verse 21, they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. The disciples were glad to take the almighty I am into the boat. No longer were they afraid. We're told that they were happy. And then we're told that the boat immediately got to the dry land that they were trying to get to. The storm subsided. We don't know if this was another miracle perhaps. Or if it just means they were close to the shore and Jesus got them there. But that was the result. That was part of the result. Next week you'll see some more of the result for the disciples and the crowd. But what about for us? What's the result for us? Four things as we finish today. The first is this. We must realize that Jesus is the provision that we need. Only Jesus can provide for our spiritual need. The spiritual hunger, the spiritual thirst that we all have, the hunger of our souls. It is Jesus alone who can provide for our spiritual inadequacy that we have. We can't do it on our own. And anything else in our life that we try to substitute for Jesus as our provision will never satisfy us. Even the good things in life, a career, a spouse, financial stability, a good church, sexual satisfaction. If we try to satisfy our spiritual hunger, the hunger of our souls, with anything other than Jesus Christ, not only will we not be satisfied, they will crush us. As Calvin said, our hearts are idol factories. We're constantly looking for other things to put in the place of Jesus. You'll know that you're doing that if you're willing to ask yourself a question and reflect. Ask yourself, whatever it is, if X was taken away, how would I respond? If your response is, I would be destroyed. Life would no longer be worth living. Then whatever that thing is, has got a bigger grip on your heart than Jesus does. If your response is, well, I would be sad, I would grieve, maybe even grieve deeply, and maybe my life would be changed as a result of it, but I wouldn't be destroyed. And you know that that thing has not got the grip of your heart that Jesus must have. We need to be regularly evaluating. What are the idols that we're putting in the place of Jesus? Because He alone is the bread of life for us. Secondly, we need Jesus daily. Just like Israel in the Old Testament, some of you know the story. As they were wandering in the wilderness, God provided manna. But He gave them very specific instructions. They were not to, to gather more manna than they needed for that day. 
they weren't supposed to kind of hoard it up and store it up and, and keep it for maybe the next week or so. They didn't know if it was going to come down again tomorrow. But God said, you'd get one day's worth. And if you get more than that, it'll spoil. It'll go bad. It'll rot. And then the next day, he would provide the manna for them and they would gather up what they needed and so on and so on. The point that the Lord was showing the people was that they needed him daily. They needed to depend on him daily. They needed to feast on what he provided daily. And we have to come to Jesus daily. We need to believe in Jesus every day. We need to come to him for our spiritual food, our spiritual sustenance, our provision every day. Not just once when we first believed him and not just once a week on Sunday when we gather to worship. We need to commune with Jesus every day. Are you? Are you? It reminds us of the importance of the means of grace. These incredible blessings, these tools that the Lord gives us to help us to spiritually feed on Jesus. He gives us His Word. He gives us prayer. He gives us worship and the Lord's Supper. He gives us fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. And these are the tools that he gives us to help us to feed on Jesus daily. Don't neglect them. If you neglect them, you'll be spiritually hungry. Third, Jesus is with us in the midst of the storms of life. Where was Jesus when the disciples were out on the boat in the stormy Sea of Galilee? He was up on the mountain by himself. Remember, he perceived that the crowd was coming to try to force him to be their king. And so it says that he withdrew and went up on the mountain by himself. Now, what was he doing up there? John doesn't tell us directly, but the other accounts of this uh, the, uh, the story do tell us he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. So there he was. Get the picture. There he was up on a mountain overlooking the Sea of Galilee. Looking down and watching the disciples struggling. And what was he doing? He was praying. No doubt praying for the disciples. It's a reminder for us. When we're dealing with the storms of our life, Jesus is praying for us. He's interceding for us. He's advocating for us. In the midst of the storm, we so often wonder, where is Jesus? Does he know? Does he care? And the answer is yes. You can trust that He knows and that He cares for you. That He's praying for you. That He's interceding for you, even when it doesn't feel that way to you. Fourth and last, how do we get Jesus as our provision that we need? Well, again, remember what He says in verse 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And that probably sounds familiar to what he said back in chapter 5 and verse 24. Whoever hears my word and believes, him who sent me has eternal life. And again, remembering what John tells us at the end of the book, that his purpose is, is that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, we may have life in his name. The way you get Jesus as your provision is you come to him. You believe in him. You hear his word and you believe that he is the Christ, the son of God, 
that you can't earn it, you can't work for His provision, you can't pay for it, you can't merit it, but He gives it to you freely. As we're going to sing in our final hymn, it's not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and Thou alone. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to Thee for dress, helpless look to Thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. Let's pray together. Father, it's such a simple truth, such a basic truth to our faith. That Jesus is our provision. That Jesus is the bread of life that feeds and nourishes us spiritually. And yet it's so hard so often for us to believe that it's true and not to put other things in place of Jesus. So we pray that you would take your word and press it deeply into our hearts and our minds. Through the work of your spirit, bring us to a greater understanding of Jesus as our bread, as our Passover lamb, as God himself to us. And as we would believe that more deeply, that you would cause us to live it out in our lives in a more significant way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.